Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about. time for Mortgage Matter. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Happy that you're all here. Happy to be here. Happy Dan's here. It's happy, happy. So good to be here. A real live Mortgage Matters happening right now. Oh, Can I actually point out, too, the opening that's actually right, too? It's good. Dan Podesto and Jason Grody. Today. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's yeah. all coming together, Jim. Yeah. All coming together. <laughs> you know, I almost emailed you late last night. Oh, no. To, I, uh, what? <laughs> I needed a sound bite. I needed a... S- oh. And, uh, uh, well, from where? From what? Am I the only one who doesn't hear me? I hear you. Okay. You can hear yourself? Uh, I think- oh, you know what? Matt was having problems with those headphones. Do you need new headphones? This set right here? Yeah. The jack of the headphones. Testing. It's testing. the headphones. Yeah. It's the headphones. Use these. Okay. Apologies, okay. people. Yeah. Can You You can hear me, but not you? Yeah. No, I, I can't hear anything. I just hearing they like go dead completely. Over, All right. Over ear sound. Yeah. I'll get it. I'll get it. There we go. Stand by while we get Dan some ears. They must have just So, yeah, I was, uh, there was going to be a great sound bite for right after our intro. Of what? Just the A's walking off another victory last night. Oh, my God. <laughs> is, is there something up there that I could find now? What was, I didn't get oh, to see Oh, I'm sure it's everywhere. It's got to be everywhere. See. Let me see if I can just, get it really quick here. Just look for Matt Olson's walk-off home run. From yesterday. That's so exciting for you. <laughs> I know. And the I, Angels baseball season ended in July, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like right around the All-Star break. Mike Trout did his here's the awesome fun, Dan, All-Star thing Dan, he does. And- <laughs> here's the fun thing about baseball. What, we have 163 games? Yeah, a two. 162. 162. And so today we're on game 124. Mm. So, so there are 40 games 40. left. Yeah. And so the A's have the tying run one? on base with one out. And Mariano's no, going to no. run for Pinder. That's not it. Oh, wait. This is earlier in the game. And now the 2-2 pitch on the way. This is exciting as well. This is the tie. Listen to all the fans. He's around third. They're going to try to score him. The throw. The dive. The tag. Out at the plate. And Larry, oh, they overturned Let me take it. a look at it. it Maybe he thinks he got play. his hand in. Well, let's that see. Is like, very uh, by the way, thank you to Major League Baseball for that clip. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. If you fast forward just a little <laughs> bit, right. you'll uh, All right. All right. You'll hear. It's going to be amazing. Right. You might be too far. Okay. Maybe. Oh. Okay. Let's see. 3-3, left on left here. Olsen against Tony Sip. I, I like that, Dan. Sit down, Dan. <laughs> we are one game out. You guys are one game behind the Astros. A yeah. Of epic That's very exciting. 
as Olsen hits his 23rd home run of the year. It's party time at home plate. Yep. There was a party of one last night in my living room. Dang. <laughs> All right. Awesome, man. Okay, well, okay. there's your show, buddy. <laughs> there it is. That's exciting. Thanks for doing that for me. Yeah, no problem. I, I'm, not, I, I'm here to, to, I keep, you know, to serve here. I man. listen to a lot of yeah. baseball on the radio. And sometime around the, like, the record-keeping part of the seventh inning, they go through that part where they remind you that any reproduction, dissemination, or use of this broadcast... Without the express, without the express written, consent. written consent of MLB. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Major League Baseball. <laughs> and you're like... Yeah. I always think to myself, the same thing every time, too. Like a, like a broken record, I think. Mm-hmm. Dissemination. Does that mean like the guys that are just talking about what happened during the game need express written consent just to discuss so jim i'm virtually positive that you're going to jail (laughs) (laughs) thanks that was like that was well beyond dissemination i think that was like copyright infringement i think we're okay okay yeah i wonder if the commissioner listens to our show of course he does. Of course. <laughs> what else would he be doing on a Saturday morning? Yeah. Of course, Jason. I mean, well, he has why a busy wonder? Life. He's probably one of the guys that listens to it on the podcast. No, no, no. He says, I can't watch any baseball games at that time on Saturday morning because those guys from Central Coast Lending have right. that Mortgage Matters show. That's and right. I just can't I can't be bothered yeah. to watch any baseball games at that point. It's exactly why there are no morning baseball games on Saturdays. Or really ever, but that's why. Saturdays especially. Sometimes there are. <laughs> Just not often. It's not often at all. Yeah. Um, have you been keeping up on everything besides the A's, Dan? I have been. You oh, have been? More or less, yeah. Um, last week on the show, uh, Mike Points was wanting to talk about Turkey a little bit. Turkey's getting talked about. <laughs> You thought I not the like, food, right. but the country. We haven't even had Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Come on, yeah, not the food, <laughs> the country, the country. It is more than halfway through August today. It's like essentially time to get your Christmas lights ready. <laughs> right. Get them to the staging area next to the ladder. Uh-huh. This year is over. Um, no, yeah, not the foul meat turkey. Um. The country, the country as in the country whose economy is, uh, in terms of GDP, about number 17 in the world, Turkey. Hmm. <laughs> I was, I saw that, and that was just one of the things I clipped. I thought that was interesting. It's always funny to try to see how much something really matters when it starts getting, you know, the headline stuff, like... They're going to default on their debt. And it's like, yeah, well, their economy's the size of New Jersey, <laughs> you know, or something like that. I mean, 17th in the world. How many, how many GDPs are there in the world? I mean, I guess every country reports a GDP. There's got to be. Uh, you think? I you think, think like Venezuela's reporting a GDP. Absolutely. Every country reports a GDP. Dear Google, <laughs> GDP yeah. by 
country. Yeah, I was to yeah there's got to be several hundred. List of countries. So I, I know oh. that when you said Turkey and GDP, I thought, oh, what are we talking about? Like the 200th? No, oh, that's surprisingly pretty high up the ladder at yet, 17. Yeah, it's surprisingly low. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> Are you buying a lot of stuff that says made in Turkey? Um, per the I, <laughs> so the, these GDPs are tracked per the IMF, right? The International Monetary Fund, per the World Bank, and per the United Nations. So you got for 2017. Oh, cue the anthem, Jim. Number one GDP as reported. <laughs> By the IMF, but it's also in the World Bank and the yeah. UN. They all agree the United States is no number way. number one GDP. <laughs> Surprise of the day right there. <laughs> wow. Well, number two, though, the European Union makes the IMF and World Bank, yet on the United Nations list, China. Yeah, Looks I have like China China doesn't too. recognize the United Nations. The United I, Nations doesn't recognize China. I have China here, too. And then you got on, on so it's IMF, China, Japan, Germany, United Kingdom, India, France, Brazil, Italy, Canada. I have Canada in- number ten. They're quiet up there, but there they are, <laughs> number, number ten, just turning out actors and then pretty respectable GDP. <laughs> South Korea, Russia, Australia, Spain, Mexico, Indonesia. So wait, European. You- European Union takes the second spot, and then all the countries that make up the European Union take up all these other spots? I guess so. Yeah. Interesting. I have India in mine, too. Do you have India in yours? Yeah, India number six. So, yeah, all the way down there at the bottom. Hmm. Turkey, not the bottom. I mean, the list, scroll, 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 sleep, sleep, snooze. So um, Number 190 <laughs> on the list rounds out the tail end. Uh, Tuvalu. Who? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're GDP, by comparison, I mean, just, just so you guys know, uh, GDP for the old US of A, based in the United States, millions, of course, because, I mean, when you're the world's reserve currency, you get to pick your dollar. Um, 19,390,600. So 19... Stuff in million, 19 millions in millions. What is that? 19 billion trillion. trillion, 19 trillion. That's a lot. And then we get all the way down here to the, the bottom rung here at uh, Tuvalu is 40, 40 million, 40 million. It's like less than one year of like Clayton Kershaw's contract is this <laughs> this country right here, and he's in and out of injuries. Like I don't crazy. know. It, it could be less than one year of Matt Olson's next contract too. Maybe. Although it's, you never know. It's a while before he's a free agent. <laughs> Dang, dude, American Samoa. There's a lot of shush. Uh, all these countries down there at the bottom. So Turkey is having some economic woes is what you're telling me. And somehow... Oh, let me tell you Turkey's... Uh, yeah, let's see. So eight, we know the top is 19 trillion. We know the bottom is 40 million. 849, 480 
million. So they're in the 850 billion, let's call it. So they matter. Yeah. They're middle of the pack. There's a pretty fall off, pretty big fall off behind them too. It's like, um, you know, almost makes it look like they're, like Turkey's comfortable. They're not, they're not rich, but they want to be. Turkey. Upper upper middle class GDP right there. Yeah. So yeah. anyhow, Turkey's been all up in the headlines lately. We keep hearing about Turkey. Um, and I got to admit, a few short weeks ago, if you would have said, tell me. In fact, this <laughs> I, this might have happened on the radio, didn't it, Jim? The Turkish What's, economy. Uh-huh. Like, what do you believe the staple of the Turkish economy? This would be like one of those jaywalking things, like with Jay Leno, where he would take the microphone to people on the street. Um the the dude that we had on last week was like rugs, <laughs> like I had one a Turkish rug and I was like mm, I had like a Persian rug but all right you got a turkey rug they might have been cheaper. Um, I would have guessed probably like agricultural products because I don't think of any I can't think of a single consumer product where I've ever seen. Made in Turkey, you know. Yeah, I would, have, I would say agriculture, like maybe because like you get things like capers and like different kind of capers, figs. All right, and so stuff Jim's like that. vote is they're the caper uh, uh, capital of the ag- world. I, I'm saying agriculture, oh, oh, okay. basically, not specifically. I've capers. seen a lot of things like maybe tobacco. Yeah, I was gonna say that too because yeah, the... so I'm saying agriculture, basically. Okay, well, are we there? No. Let me bring you all. <laughs> let me just bring you all up to speed on Turkey's yeah. uh, economic Please do. production. Um, their major exports for last year were transportation equipment. Oh. Made up a third of their total exports. Would not have we're talking that. like road vehicles, heavy machinery, mm. um, apparatus and appliance, manufactured oh. goods, many of which are yarn, fabrics. Um, oh. Interesting textiles and iron and steel wow so i guess it's uh um a little bit different than what we yeah. thought maybe well we could extrapolate the fact that iron and steel well, could be used to make agricultural equipment if you want to go that you way could be made to look pretty <laughs> foolish if we walked through the list of countries and i said name their main export <laughs> yeah. all the way down we could do this all yeah, through all can, the countries we could keep being really wrong about <laughs> about how good so anyhow there Dan you go and i aren't really wrong you can make agricultural equipment using steel yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> What does your husband do? Junk bonds. <laughs> do I say you're in junk waitressing? Oh, anyway, <laughs> that's that's a great scene from The Wedding Singer. Glenn Gulia, you guys don't remember? Great movie. If you haven't seen it, rush out, rush out. It's like a half star movie on Netflix. Mm. Yeah. So, anyways, Turkey, because of their exports of like. Equipment, heavy machinery, steel, and aluminum, they're in the crosshairs over some of this tariff stuff. So that's part of it. Um, and then additionally, um, the Turkey has got some potentially far reaching consequences for the global economy, even though they're only 17th in GDP. They make up about $140 billion worth of debt held by 
um, Italian, French, and Spanish banks. Hmm. So um, their currency is tumbling. Last week they had like a single 12% uh, overnight, a 12% drop in their currency, the lira. And um, it's looking like all eyes are kind of on Turkey right now to see what's going on. And so the reason I kind of bring it up, I think probably a lot of people are seeing and hearing about this, but um, I think the U.S. has been benefiting from it. We had another um, pretty decent little rally this week in our market as we the ten year finished up at two point eight seven. Yeah, I was gonna say this whole this whole situation reminds me a lot of all the noise we had around a few of the European Union countries that were struggling with debt. Could they was pay it, their debt? Would their debt be forgiven? Yeah. Should the union help pay the debt? What was it? It was Portugal, Italy, Spain, Spain Greece. and Greece. Greece was, yeah, big, it was big. It was pigs, right? P-I-G-S. Um, so it was those four countries. And when they were going through their troubles, and remind me, where do those some of those countries rank on this list? Um, I still have it up. So we have Germany number four. Germany's big, um, you know. And if the, the U.S. is nineteen trillion, their economy looks like it's about three point six trillion. So they're a, you know, they're a powerhouse, a, a distant number four, but a number four nonetheless. They're a big dog. Um, and then what we had Italy coming in at under two trillion, number nine, one point nine trillion. Um, Portugal, Greece, Portugal, anywhere. Um, Are they above 17? I'm scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> no, nope. scrolling. Portugal, number 47. See, you probably average those, those four economies together Greece. and they probably work out to be right around what Turkey is. Greece, number 53. So yeah, this whole situation reminds me of that, which was what now two years ago, three years ago, maybe. And all that uncertainty with these other, while not the largest economies, still sizable economies that need to be, um, you know, they can have an impact on this global economy and, and our, our own U.S. economy. Um, it, it led to a downward pressure on interest rates. It led to just looking for the safe haven, right? right? With when you don't really know what's going to happen or how this can how it will work out, um money tends to flow into those safe yielding bonds which drives interest rates lower and so we're seeing that cycle repeat itself here in the last couple of weeks as Turkey has made made itself known to have well, some problems. Most most of the uh mature economies of the world have begun into their raising interest rates type of cycle. So we're seeing it, and you know, I kind of think of it as like liftoff, right? So you're seeing, okay, well, what happens, and are we doing okay? Is your is your jobs and housing and everything sort of hold together as you start to see interest rates move? Um, and you know, one of the things I think it's important to remember is that rather than just saying interest rates are rising. I think it's important to realize that they're normalizing. We're pulling off a lot of those, the the manipulation by the Fed, and um, we're we're watching what happens as the market normalizes, and we're sort of watching the global economy do the same thing. Um, got into this conversation last night with a guy, um, really smart guy. This is a buddy of mine that I hadn't seen in a while, 
he works for PG&E. And I was asking him because he owns several properties and, and, and I just hadn't seen him in a few months. And we always end up in these real estate investment conversations. I said, Ty, tell me, you always have a really strong opinion about this. What's public sentiment right now in terms of like the economy, in terms of um, housing, like from your vantage point, how do things look and like what's on the horizon? And um, surprisingly... He said uh, he thought things were really strong and that people were super optimistic and looking forward to kind of raking it in for a few more years. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, Then, of course, the conversation turned to things that are happening nationally in terms of like housing and, you know, kind of different markets that are starting to sort of signal a little bit of softness, which we just can't escape, right? But anyways, one of the things that he brought up was that he thinks the tipping point here for a housing correction is interest rates to 6%. And so, um, and just essentially that with down payments being challenging to collect in a world where everything's more expensive. Of course, we talked about fuel. I I read last week that fuel costs the United States is um, 21% more expensive this year than last, which is interesting. You would then think you have 21% inflation, right? I mean, almost everything we have is dependent on fuel in one way or another, yet we don't. Um, So... Anyhow, he just said, I think 6% is is sort of like where it starts to come undone, where sentiment shifts just because people cannot and will not buy anymore. I can buy into that. When you have two rate hikes this year, right? September and December, is, it's built Which in. Which you think would push you up to mid fives? Yeah, five and three eighths, five and a half. And then I'm told... A couple I'm more led in to the next believe year? that we're supposed to get three to four next year. So potentially this time next year, we're staring at a six percent interest rate. Woo! And I can I I buy into that theory a little bit because when you talk about the historical norm for the thirty year fixed mortgage rate, six to eight percent, anything below six percent feels like a discount, right? It's like some kind of sale going on at the at the mortgage store, and. Um, when you get to 6%, well, there's no deal to be had. That'll be here tomorrow, too. So why rush? But if something's in the fives, it's I mean, it's on sale. Let's go get it. Yeah. Sale's not going to last forever. So I can kind of buy into that a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I kind of think, too, there's so many things this time that are different. I find myself wondering. I need to go talk to some more people that are... Um, you know, the octogenarians around about <laughs> not whether... the real estate industry people. Well, I just want to <laughs> know, it, does it always look this way? This is one of the things I really miss talking to my wife's grandpa about because, um, you know, he passed away in January. But this was like whenever we got together, I would ask him these kind of things too. you know, about because he was a business guy and attract economics and politics as related to investment economics his whole life. And so... A lot of stuff I can read, but some of the things I can't read is like, do we have the same emotional reaction as a people in every cycle? Right. Um, and he tended to tell me we did. Um, but I find I find myself wondering often, is this how it always goes? Where my tendency is to sit and talk about why it's different this time. This time it's different. 
um, almost like I'm building a padded room of excuses around it. So many people have a three and a quarter, three and a half percent, 30 year fixed. You know, we hear Wall Street now is sort of terming that the ultra low interest rate people that that have that ultra low. So they're not going to participate in reselling. They're certainly not a foreclosure risk. Um, they're manipulating the market in a way that we haven't seen before. And and to me, like when I think I try to sort out my thoughts, right, and I go, oh, let's go from Carter to today. Look at the drop in interest rates, the change in home values as related to interest rates. We went down, 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 down. Sure, there was silly little corrections along the way, but we went down from 18% to where we're going to draw the line now, somewhere around 3% for a 30-year fix, right? Over what was ultimately, you know, at this point, 40 years in the economy. So this time, are we going back to 18%? Surely not. I mean, we everybody agrees that, you know, between home values and interest rates, that nobody's going to be able to afford anything at interest rate of 15%. Not to mention, I think there's the investment community is just paying way too close of attention and wants returns. They know historically um, six, seven, eight percent is amazing. There's you're not getting eight, 18% again, probably ever, unless you know we go the way of Venezuela or something. So anyhow, that's kind of just what I wonder is, are we, like I said, going, look from that Carter era to here where interest rates moved that way. Um, and now we're sort of seeing the bounce off the bottom of that. Uh, what happens? And are we in a time right now of things that have never happened before? This time is different. The feds with a four and a half trillion dollar mortgage back security portfolio they're hanging on to Fannie and Freddie in conservatorship, the licensing requirements and the Dodd-Frank regulations and the everything we had. So many of the forces at play this time are different than they've ever been before. And so we got to expect the outcome will be a little bit different too, right? I would think so. But like I said, every time I ever got to talk to Jack, those would be, these would be my questions for him. And he would tell me, I was like, yeah, there is a general sentiment to believe that this time will be different and to, and to put confidence in it, you know? So I don't really know. Um, I don't know what to make of it. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens. I, I, I read a commentary recently that basically just said, if you're in the industry, you should be cheering for interest rates to go up rapidly from here to undermine the market so that the next cycle begins of lowering interest rates, lowering property values, refreshing that access and markability to that first-time homebuyer that currently feels chokeholded out. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to be sitting over here cheering for um, major, major correction or um, rapid interest rates. Like, I don't want to see him go to six tomorrow. No, but I, yeah, I understand the the rationale there too. We've got a caller waiting on the line. Perhaps he's going to give you some of that insight, that perspective you're looking for. We've got Bob calling from San Luis Obispo. Come on, Bob, be old. <laughs> Good morning, Bob. Hello. Uh, Bob, you don't sound 90. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
No, this is Don. And uh, oh, Don. oh, I'm sorry, sorry Don. I thought you said Bob. No wonder he didn't respond right away. He's yeah, like, I was like, they what? have two no, people no. on the line. They have me and some guy, Bob. <laughs> morning, Don. Sorry about that. Quite all right. Uh, gentlemen, I think this morning, um, incidentally or accidentally perhaps, um, this discussion of Turkey hit on something I think is, is vitally important and crucial for uh, people to understand, especially, you know, a free citizenry like a nation, uh, United States. And that is um, uh, Turkey is a hallmark of a kind of thing that we've got going. You can have um, a, a money-rich economy or one that's doing well, and still have little leverage on um, the international stage as a player and as an independent thinker. And uh, I recall that um, in the late 70s, early 80s, something like that, the world had decided that it was time to boycott South Africa due to the uh, official uh, racism, the, the lines drawn between the races. And it was remarked at the time that the United States could join the boycott quite easily because we didn't need anything from South Africa. We had everything we need except, I think, mercury or titanium, something like that they could supply. If you surrender your milling, mining, and manufacture, you give up a lot of what is uh, independence and ability to move and to have leverage on the world stage. Russia is a notable idea in this. They have a huge military. We're all aware of that, a dangerous military. So that keeps them as a player, but their economy is dependent on petroleum pretty much. I think they sell a few heads of cabbage or some wheat, something like that. It leaves them very vulnerable. The president has already remarked to um, Europe that they should cancel um, their petroleum deals and get something better. It puts everybody... I'll give you a final example on this and then let you go. I don't want to take everybody's time, but in the late 1940s, 47, 48, something like that, the British pound sterling was still a marked economy in the world. Much of the world um, marked their um, currency against the British pound sterling. I think it was either $3.80 or $4.80 exchange rates. Now like $1.42, I think. But a lot of their mining, milling, and manufacturing has been given up. The Jaguars now manufactured in India. I believe the Rolls-Royce engine is manufactured in Germany. You can have a lot of white-collar activity without being an independent culture. It's one of those things that we've got to sort of hang on to. Um, when we can do what we've always done, and that is to be very independent, we can be a leading citizen in the world stage. But if we have only the dollars, if we have just the white-collar position, we're left kind of adrift in what the world is thinking, what the world is doing. Let you go back to what you were doing. I will only say that high interest rates kind of uh, bring down the top price on a house. And so for young people who are trying to save and save and save, they can never quite reach. If the interest rates stay too low, the price of the house just goes up, up, up. That's all, and I really appreciate the program. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Cool. Thank you, Don. Yeah. Lot to digest there. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a interesting insight. Um, I feel like we... uh, we need to take a break. We can ponder this, uh, these thoughts a little bit and come back. I want more with Don. <laughs> I know, Don. Right? We might need to get Don in for like a full hour as a guest. Or, or even, great. Just, so, or even just coffee break, man. That, <laughs> uh, I, oh, I have some questions. Uh, you know, it, we are, we are running off schedule. So yeah. we're, we are going to take a okay. break here. Probably only going to be, be able to do one this hour. Um, 
But we appreciate you joining us. We've got to take our first break here. I want to remind you that you can call in like Don and share your thoughts, ask a question, share a comment. Um, you can just give us a call here live in the studio at 805-543-8830. 805-543-8830. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. If you're like most investors, the constant ups and downs of the stock market have you on edge. How do you make sure you keep your gains without jumping ship too soon? At Century Financial Consultants, they have an investment strategy where your money is completely protected against market losses. You go up with the stock market, your gains locked in, and when the market goes down, you don't lose anything. Literally, you go up, never down, forwards, never backwards. Sounds too good to be true? See for yourself for free. Call Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 805-324-7914. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. I know you deceived me, now here's a surprise. That you have, cause there's magic in my eyes. I can see for miles and miles and miles and miles. I'm on a who kick. The second. Cool. Yeah. I saw the I saw Quadrophenia live back in the day. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. I would love to see that. It was awesome. I saw Roger Daltrey out at the Vino Robles last weekend, and I still haven't got the songs out of my head yet. How was it? Amazing. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. I was a real big fan of Pete Townsend, too. Yeah. His solo stuff. Good times. Uh, there's the hook again. Well, Simon Townsend plays with Roger Daltrey, and I guess Simon is Pete's younger brother. 
Interesting. Yeah, and it, but they made amends. Yeah, no, I think they good. did. Yeah, forgive and forget. Show. Great show. Um, yeah. So anyhow, Dan and I talked through the break. Um, the interesting thing about this is that in today's environment, it's it's pretty quick and easy to find um, these things are and have been made political and they're very complex. They're very involved. Um, you know, the, the tariffs and the approach, the communication style, whether or not you support the, the end result or, or desire the end result may be similar, but with different approach, or if you like the approach, I mean, I talk to people that are like, Oh yeah, this is exactly how you do it. And then of course there are people that are mortified that this is how we look currently on the world stage. So the the politicking's all over the place. Um, and th- that part of it, I mean, we're not going to get into that on the show. However, you know, it's important to understand, like, you know, like I said, I, how this conversation started is, you know, reading through and then all of a sudden you say, wow, Turkey's number 17 on the list. And, um, they do matter. They are relevant. They're in front of a lot of countries that we've proven to worry a lot about before. And then, of course, I love Don's phone call that reminds us that um, each country does need to be relevant. Your economy does need to matter. Uh, what your exports are, and um, you know, and immediately makes me think about the United States. It's like, wow, let let's make sure that we're not irrelevant too, and or don't lose some of our abilities to produce or you know be self sufficient with because once you lose, like he said, you lose some manufacturing right. or whatever, then then all of a sudden you're completely dependent on that sector totally. from other countries. Yeah, in fact, last night when I was talking to my friend Ty, um, part of the conversation arrived at this point of. Um, do you remember that story? It was a book and then a movie called Into the Wild. Yeah. Um, it goes to Alaska, right? Yeah, one of the guys starves to death because of an inability to skin an animal, and I think about that often. Is um, I mean, I won't ask you guys to declare whether or not you know how to skin an animal. The I fact don't. is that most people do not. And the reality is, is that I hope you never need to know that. <laughs> um, however, it's something that most every American knew how to do at one point, men, women, and children, it was, it was a necessity. And I think what ends up happening is we we lose the ability to do those most basic necessary things because a convenience or an economy begins to come and fill that that need for you and so now you're a generation away from um you know i t- dan you and i've talked about this before like i i have chickens at my house and i'll go um like if you came to my house this morning the chickens laid nine eggs this morning. And if you were over, I would have made you eggs that are an hour old and you would have loved them. There are some people that are like, is that okay to eat eggs that are 
right from the chicken. Laid in your yard? <laughs> oh, no, they don't have to go through some sort of distribution point. And or, the interesting thing is, does it come from the cold case yeah, at the refrigerator? At the grocery store, I mean? No, they don't need to go to the grocery store for two weeks. They're not given a chemical bath, right? Um my eggs are kept on They're bright the, white, right? They come out bright white. Um they're <laughs> cleaner than you would probably expect. Um but the thing I was going to say about it too is that like our eggs we have this little spirally thing on the counter where you add the new eggs up to the top and you take the oh, egg out of the bottom. What ensures you're always eating the oldest egg. the oldest egg right. first, which if you're managing your eggs correctly, ideally you're never eating an egg that's more than a couple 3 5 days old maybe. Um, but doesn't need to be refrigerated. U.S. is hung up on refrigerating eggs. We have to be because the process in which we handle and wash the like ability for an egg to be an egg off of an egg. So anyways, I, I digress. My point is <laughs> we have a generation now of people that don't know how to grow anything, think it's weird to eat an egg out of the yard, couldn't cut an animal if they needed to, um... And they might be the second or third generation of people that don't know how to do these things. I was going to say, isn't that been happening for a while? And when you look forward, doesn't that look like it's continuing, will continue to happen? So as like, (laughs) as Don was talking, though, I found myself thinking, yes, keep a quest for being relevant, um, having some independence, having things that other people need. Um, and this is one of the things that I just feel like um, the more our society matures, the more we let go of those things. You know, think about the millennials today. A lot of a lot of the millennials now telecommute, so they work from home. Like I'm, I just closed alone this week for a. Uh, I was going to say husband and wife, but they're not married because that's pretty old school. Um, they live together and buy a house together. Um, they work from home together for different companies. And I picture them in their office just killing it on awesome MacBooks with like wireless earbuds. And I'm just like, dude, <laughs> it's so different than like when I was a kid, you know, like I watched my dad lo- like w- in the morning watching my dad put his tools into the truck, you know. Get this tool and that tool and, you know, the planers and the levels. And, of course, you're going to, you know, might end up finishing some concrete today. So you're going to need some trowels and floats and things. And then I'm like, man, today there's a lot of people that don't do that anymore. And, uh, you know, doing keyboard work and stuff. And Let's face it. We're on a path to being little brains attached to computers that are completely dependent on internet and electricity. I mean, that's where we're going. <laughs> did you? That's guys, the price of progress, I think. Did you guys see that Pixar movie a few years ago? I think it was Wally, if I'm not mistaken. Where, like, in the end, yeah, it's Wally. It's Wally. Have you seen it? I e yes yes I've seen Wally. Wally. The so Wally's like this robot, and he's mm-hmm. got the most impossible task ahead of him, which is cleaning up Earth. Mm-hmm. So Earth was destroyed by like pollution and garbage, and the people are now forced to leave Earth. So they're like in a spaceship, and they're like in these floating recliners where they're basically just in a comatose state, being like fed you know, whatever, as they just float around mostly asleep existing in these space shuttles. 
<laughs> when you just said we're like little brains are going to get attached to big computers, I was like, man, I don't want to live like that. I saw that in Wally. Well, so I I go to kinder parent orientation this week, right? My son's going to start kindergarten. And we've are they were letting us know that there are iPads in the class starting in kindergarten. Not wow. not a one to one ratio yet, so they will be sharing. But they'll be doing some work on iPads at home. Um, once probably, they get to, the teacher, probably just wants them there, so the five year olds mm-hmm. can teach them how to use them. Once they get to <laughs> third grade, I think it's a one to one ratio, so they're going to do a lot more work on that stuff. And from other parents I know that have older kids, they pretty much stop writing, like with pencils and pens, around the third grade. And so we have this whole generation of kids that, like. If the internet goes down or like the power goes out, how do they even know how to like write anymore? <laughs> yeah. Well, pens are illegal now. That's pens crazy. are too? Yeah. Oh. Well, you remember if you take that big <laughs> pen and you pull out the front and pop the button out of the back, it's a straw. Ah. So you can't do you can't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um no, my kids are still writing. Okay, and, good. Um, <laughs> Thinking, you know, writing is important as yeah, opposed to an iPad. But this year, so this year, um, school might need to focus on, um, on all those yeah, reading, writing, archaic yeah. exercises that our ancestors yeah. used to do, like called reading, you know, writing, arithmetic, getting your hands dirty. Yeah. But why do you need to write <laughs> though? Because you don't need to write practically, like in real life. Yeah. Well, you need to type stuff. Yeah. Or voice dictate stuff. That's great. No. But I think you need I'm not rise. my grandmother, buddy. I don't need to pin a letter to my distant cousin and send it <laughs> with a horse. I guess not. I guess not. I laugh. It was just one example. I laughed because I remember being in grade school and having this thing over like math of like, why do we need to learn this? And the teacher was like, well, you're not always going to have a calculator with you. And I'm like, <laughs> Turns out she was oh, wrong. Oh, yeah, Miss Howard? <laughs> My uh, pocket-held computer here is more powerful I than the computer that. that controlled the spaceship, <laughs> the last spaceship, uh, for real. Um, we do. I do always have a laughs on you. I do always have a calculator with me. In fact, now you're allowed to use your calculators on tests. <laughs> But this year, so my kids (laughs) did back to school this week, right? And now I have an 11th grader, a 9th grader, and a 4th grader. And last year, my 8th grader was the only one of the three that um, was getting technology type of stuff, really. There was a a school-issued Chromebook that was, I think, used exclusively at school, but it was theirs, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this year, I signed these waivers for all three of them that I'm like taking financial responsibility for these Chromebooks that are expected to be used and transported. I signed this like, uh, it was like a code of ethics, and it was basically like, I will not attempt to add apps to my Chromebook. I will not wash the dishes with my Chromebook on the counter. I will make sure my child's Chromebook is fully charged every night. And I'm like, I'm about to sign this thing. And I'm like, uh, keep it away from the dishes. Don't try to hack it, you know? And then I don't No, I'm not going to be the one policing whether you charge this thing every night. 
Were you were you signing that as you were washing to the my, dishes to my son? <laughs> to my son who's a junior in high school. If you think I need to be in charge of making sure your device is appropriately charged, tell you what, make sure they should just make some kind of an adapter that can transfer power from an iPhone, and they'll never have that problem at school. Those kids <laughs> do not leave the house uh, without. Their phone appropriately charged. And you always know, too, like when the friend's kids are coming over, if they're planning on staying for a while, they come through the door with a charger. You know when it's a quick visit, you don't see any chargers. <laughs> These guys keep their devices peaked. <laughs> so, anyhow. Interesting stuff. Um, we probably are headed that way. I remember thinking that about um, the automation where you like check yourself out at the grocery store. I left one of the banks in town because they wanted me to like come inside the branch and then bank myself. <laughs> All of a sudden the teller turned into like an inter, like it was like an ATM inside. There was a phone that went to a person I could see but wasn't allowed to talk to. I probably shouldn't name the bank, but I stopped banking there. Well, I have to admit, I'll use the I'll use the self checkout at the grocery store. I like that. I feel because like I, could, I really, well, you feel like you can take a couple yeah. things for free. No, no just oh, I can just <laughs> I can get out. I yeah, can just I, I really, swipe, swipe, go. I really don't care where you got your hair done. You know, when you're talking to the cash register, oh, your hair looks so good. See, cash I'm, register people are talking to the customers. I don't care. I'm just, I just the want opposite. to get out of the store. I do. I like that. <laughs> the human the interaction. Guy, yeah, and I'm the guy that has the conversations with people. It's. I think it's fun. Um, I think it's also just. It's a good skill. I'm a goofball too, and it's so a, I, it's I a good thing. Laughing or laughing at something, right. or I'm the guy in the back of the line where it's taking too long. And I'll like look around the four people in front of me. Like, What's going on up there? Someone trying to write a check or something? Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, just just funny. I don't mind talking to people around me. That's a thing that I dislike the most about those little checker things. Where uh, I like you know those. because some people too. Like for example, you know, imagine if you were old and retired, Jim, and you're like you're retired and your house is pretty empty because. It's empty, and then yeah. mm -hmm. and then you go out, and now all of a sudden you're like ordering at the restaurant. You're like, I could use a little interaction. So you go to the restaurant, and then there's this a pop up thing on the table that's like, click this button to get some food, and then it yeah. comes out on a belt, and then you you tap your phone. <laughs> I don't think on we've the, gotten there, but maybe it's going. Are. It's going there, unless the Jetsons, unless yeah, people, um, unless people want to actually continue to support things where there's interaction and there's people and there's well and and it you know this all came from maintaining that that relevance right without all the tools and the technology and stuff can you still be relevant in a world absent of that and um or are you completely dependent on these on these extras that you need to function anymore that's the scary thing i was thinking about this the other night with phones right what happens i mean if if someone decided the best way to you know harm the u.s is to take out internet or cell phones how do we communicate with one another do you even have a landline anymore 
I would have no way. I, I would have to like. I do not, but um, gather neighbors together to be able to communicate. Did you guys read at all about North Korea having this little? Um, it's like a. I forget the acronym now. I knew it at one time, but essentially, one of the things that they have is a technology where they attach this electromagnetic uh, um, EMP, maybe. Anyway. Shoot it over you, and it can detonate literally from like as high as like subspace. So you don't even like have a chance really to take it down. And what it does though is it sends a such a shock that um, it is targeted, designed to specifically the blast radius just shuts down your electrical grid. Whoa. Well, it just everything electrical is done. So you start thinking about that um, kind of a scary thing, right? That kind of warfare, and there's, I mean, there's talk if you want to get into, like, things about our country, and, you know, these are some of the places where you might go, maybe defense spending is a little bit smart, um, keeping up on the technology edge of these things, but, like, um, the power systems, though, and think about that, your car, you you have electronic ignition and everything now in your car, it's not like the old cars where you could bump start it and go, you don't even have a manual anymore. Um, there's so much, like, think about it. Most of us couldn't even make coffee. Do you have a French <laughs> press still? I do. I mean, I do. I have to get it out of my camping box, but I do. Um, so yeah, that loss of a cell phone though. <laughs> Imagine if the electric grid shut down, then you can't grow things and you don't know how to skin animals and you're going to wither up and die. I do know how to grow things. You do. <clears throat> Yeah. And I know how to skin things, so we'll team up. We'll just up. find each other and in yes, the apocalypse. I have a landline in my house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the three of us are going to make a great team. And huh. my, let's bring my wife in. She studied a lot about those zombie shows, so she'll know how to fight them while we're making sure needs are met. All right, we have a top-of-the-hour five-minute break. We'll be back in five minutes here for a whole nother hour of mortgage matters and we do hope you'll stick around we've got real estate we might even talk about real estate and mortgage who knows we will we are (laughs) all right guys be back in a few minutes you're listening to mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 if you missed any part of the show log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more now back to your host dan and jason from central coast lending His wife, oh. oh. His wife, Judy. Okay. Judy. Man, this is a blast from the past. See, you guys can see the screen, so you know who they're introducing next. Oh, Cogswell, Space... Coswell. Cogswell Cogs and Spacely Sprockets. Yeah. Yeah. There we the are. Work. And then just throws his feet up. Yeah. But they First thing even, you do, right? Did you notice, though, right there that the computer was still the size of the entire back wall? And there <laughs> right. wasn't one on his desk? No. And in today's world, he would have, like, walked in with a hotspot on his phone, like, <laughs> you know, participating in, like, a video <laughs> seminar. Yeah. 
It's funny. Mm-hmm. Well, you might not know it after that first hour. <laughs> oh, I know it. But this is Mortgage Matters, where we talk about real estate and economics and, well, you, you, <laughs> and mortgages. And you, but you got to know all about the economics stuff right. if you want to be any good at the real estate or mortgage stuff, right? It certainly helps us understand the direction of the economy, the direction of interest rates, um, you know, potential... Fed action, political action that might take place that could potentially impact, uh, you know, the mortgage market as well as the real estate market. So that's why we we always look at some of these international issues that might seem irrelevant, but they actually do connect. When we were talking a minute ago dur- during that last during segment, the break, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but we just the part we were still on the air, but it was also kind of the some of what Don talked about as being relevant and. You know, maintaining independence. Yeah. And having that ability, um, white collar, all these kind of things. One of the interesting things that it made me think of that I was excited to, to tie into here is um, last week, the National Association of Home Builders, um, they keep a market index, which attempts to track home builder sentiment. And, um, Sentiment this month dipped slightly from July's unrevised level. Um, It dipped only by 1%. And just to put into some context, the reading is at 68, right? Mm -hmm. 50 is the threshold. A number below 50 would represent poor conditions, and a number above 50 would represent favorable conditions, right? And again, we're talking home builder sentiment from the National Association of Home Builders. So they're attempting to, to to keep a gauge and read on what it feels like if you're a home builder in this environment. Um, so however, uh, it slipped a little bit, and they said that um, nationally, there's a continued strong demand for new housing fueled by steady job and income growth. But there's always a fly in the ointment, right? Let me ask you this, Dan. Mm -hmm. If you're a home builder right now, and I'll, I'll run back through what I just said, the home builder sentiment is that There's a strong demand for new housing, which is fueled by steady job and income growth, Mm -hmm. along with rising household formations. But, and so the fly in the ointment, and there's a few of them here, but what, what do you think would appear to be headwind for the home builders in this market right now? I feel like there's a right answer and a wrong answer. There's here. not. There's multiple. I think. I think cost. I think the the end price is a headwind because they are getting so high um, that it's it's just unaffordable. In fact, this week we saw a local study that you know I think for a long time we've been sharing that homes are only affordable to a third of the of the population. But and now in our only county, a third of people need shelter. And now in our county, it's decreased to just a quarter. Mm-hmm. of the local population can afford the median priced home. Yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest headwind. And if you want to drill down into that, I think some of these tariffs I've read lately, they're 
impact on the cost of housing, you know, with n- nails being more expensive and there's some wood tariffs and things like that, that I've, I've read anywhere from $6,000 to as much as like 30 or $40,000 mm. on the price of the end home product. I'm going to put a pin in that. Okay. Because I want to come back to that tariff thing as relates so I did to that. construction. I tried to make that one thing, but then I like spread it out over several things so that it's harder for me to be wrong. Dan, your, <laughs> your resilience, <laughs> your nimbleness. Thank you. Thank you. Teflon down over there. You <laughs> never, never cease to amaze. What's the right answer? You're very right. Okay. Um, what I was gonna hope that you said, maybe I baited you a little bit. Um, man, when you when you crack national papers right now and you bounce into those national news sites that are reporting the big stories, uh, rising interest rates are are the wet blanket in the housing market. Yeah, that could be another good one. They don't even mention that. Hmm. And I was hoping you did. I thought you'd say, well, you know, rates are going up. And they're going up four more times. And when they keep going up, then it's just going to keep shutting people down. Uh, no, they're not. Um, they cited affordability concerns stemming from rising construction costs and shortage of skilled labor and the scarcity of buildable lots. Mm. Um Another one of the things that my my wife's grandfather, Jack, always told me that I always appreciated was uh, he said, buy dirt. They're not making any more of it. And if you can buy coastal, uh, the closer you can get to the water, because, again, they're not making any more of it. Did he factor in that the water's getting closer to us? No. And then also I wanted to, I want to be like, well, and then you know that that volcano in Hawaii just added like a thousand acres to Hawaii. <laughs> they are making more. They, it well, it's not out, dirt, but. Well, it becomes dirt over time. <laughs> right. It's just red from the iron content. Um, but anyhow, um, so scarcity of land, we understand that. Sure. And um, I can't help but think like when you drive from here, say from here to Ventura. You see all that land. There's a lot of open land, and some of it is in valleys where you go. That's you don't have to grade. You're not really wrecking view corridors. It seems like there's, you know, a, a reasonable spot to throw a bedroom community in between a couple cities and start to farm a new little economy. Because you know, yeah. then the services come in, and that's just what happens. And the reality is, is that there's there's this big focus over the last you know, however many years about uh, green space preservation and stopping urban sprawl and dedicating these things to uh, wilderness reserves. And um, so the cities have adopted this and the counties have adopted this. The plans in place to prevent the development into those new areas, right? So consequently what we have, you know, and then there's the Williamson Act, for example, where you – uh, you receive a, a tax incentive basically to commit that your land will never be developed. Subdivided and all that. Yeah, all that. Yeah. Is, it's going to remain for agricultural uses or even maybe not used at all. But it just you're going to get discounted property taxes for committing to the Williamson Act. So there's a lot of those things that make lots now placing a new, a new project, especially if we think about slow city. Okay. We know where they're going, um, but – 
does that do you believe that's scarcity those the developable areas within slow are pretty known and eventually they'll be done and you'll have to rethink where you do build so anyway scarcity of land i completely get have to completely agree with um Rising construction costs. You touch on that a little bit with, um, and it's not just tied to the tariffs. No, the the tariffs will compound some of that, but it's been getting more expensive. Um, you know, the the energy efficiencies. California's rolling a solar mandate out now. There's taxes have been on EPA taxes that have been on a gallon of paint and on a, like a two by four now for a stud. There, there's we, fees, we just there's have, taxes on fees, there's fees on the taxes. Yeah, and then That's, you've got yeah. your regulatory compliance, all those things along the way. It's very expensive now to build. And then the last part of this that you got to touch base here and just I think really acknowledges that one of the things they cite of their three-legged stool here, one of which is um, the shortage of skilled labor. And, um, you know... I I had a front row seat to that with my peer circles. I had a lot of friends, you know, growing up, son of a contractor in a town where that was kind of one of the hot ways to work, something related to new construction. We went for a decade without building. Those guys had to go learn new jobs. They got new jobs. They couldn't wait 10 years to get their their blue collar job back. They had to find something now. Many of them, (laughs) like... Lost their house, got foreclosed on, reinvented themselves. You know, they started doing things like working for the gas company or going back to school and, you know, becoming an, a commercial estimator, yeah. doing anything else. Just, just in an effort to, to survive, yeah. right? So now you have this this deal where we recognize there to be a shortage of skilled labor. And um, I think that also plays into that conversation, you know, as one of the highlights that Don brought up is that you got to know how to do those things. You can't just be white collar and we're sort of suffering the damage of that where we just went for 10 years, you know, think about that. The 15-year-olds went from 15 to 25 without the idea that being a plumber or an electrician or a roofer or a framer or a finished carpenter or a mason, none of those things were like, why would you do that? You can't do that. I'm not learning that. We've got a caller waiting on the line from Santa Margarita. George is with us. Good morning, George. Hey, good morning. Um, your your spokesperson can't be any more correct when he said that the dirt is what they stopped making a long time ago. <laughs> right. You know, and and the point about logistics, you know, with proximity to your work center, shopping center, you know, the merchant center, um, you know, that, that that is important. But you also have to consider... Uh, what it is you want in, in your life's quality of life. Do you uh, want to buy that property next to the beach, uh, overlooking the ocean? You're willing to pay over a percent of what you purchase, your purchase price was in property tax. You want to pay for high water, high sewer. The list goes on. And then after that part is covered, you got to consider you get to share your front yard with all the tourists that <laughs> right. park everywhere. So, you know, uh, like, for example, I had a place for rent, and a tenant came up, a prospective tenant looked at it in Santa Margarita, and he chose to uh, go to Cayucas, up by Cayucas. Well, he's from out of the area, and he hasn't realized what the commute from Cayucas to San Luis or Cal Poly is going to be every day. Mm-hmm. Whereas Santa Margarita, 
basically, it's closer to places in San Luis Obispo than other places in San Luis Obispo. Yeah, that's true. You, you know, you kind of you get on the pipe and boom, you're there. And you're, uh, you have to consider your uh, costs, not just your taxes, but well, what's it cost to you know, flush your toilet? Yeah. Uh, you got a sewer bill, you got a water bill, and who provides that? And I will say this much for Santa Margarita, what you have is, uh, a community that uh, gets involved and, and speaks out and, and uh, basically tries to keep a lid on costs. Uh, for example, water is something that that community is fairly blessed with. Uh, it's not like in San Luis Obispo where they sell it by the shot glass. And uh, although we can't, we don't waste it. But then again, the groundwater is uh, just beneath the surface. Therefore, you don't have to put a whole lot of water on your trees because they can find it themselves. Mm. And there's things like that you got to think about the, the total package, not just uh, the cheapest property you can find or uh, your fashion statement for the season. Uh, yeah, look at it year round. Your utility costs. And, uh, I feel like a lot of the people that I that I talk to lately are just trying to get what they can get and survive. <laughs> well, uh, there's California you know? Valley. Uh, you can survive. Get yourself a smart car and commute to San California Valley every day, and uh, you can afford that. Or <clears throat> you can live in uh, uh, Taft. I mean, there's people that teach in a uh, Taft school district that live in Morro Bay. Wow. So there's no reason why you couldn't live in Taft and uh, commute to a job, let's say, in Paso Robles or so forth. And housing costs there are about, hmm, I would say, a fourth of what it is in San Luis Obispo. And they're the ones that are coming over here and joining our beaches because they have that disposable income that most people who buy a house on the coast don't have. Mm. So that's fruit for thought. Yeah. Cool. George, thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like you were about to ask George a question. I, I almost, yeah, well, we get into this debate. It's not the first time on the show. Of, you know, is there a responsibility to provide affordable housing um, in a community, or is it the responsibility of the prospective home buyer to find the affordable area and then make it work for them? And you get differing opinions on that. Obviously, you get some people who think like, no, I mean, this is that's the price of. You call it a lot, what, the paradise tax. It's the paradise tax. If you want to live in San Luis County and, you know, enjoy the beaches and enjoy the great weather and enjoy all the, you know, the the space, the lack of traffic, that kind of thing, then you got to pay extra for it. And it's not our responsibility to provide those affordable options. But then there's others that think, well, if you don't have affordable options, then um, it's, you know, it's just going to change the dynamic of of how you live here and you know get your your services your needs met you know because if yeah if you don't have affordable housing you can't have the uh, the lower wage jobs um, that are necessary to provide all the services that we use and stuff like that so it's yeah it's an interesting debate um um I I would. Take up the. I would take up this side of the debate. That is absolutely not. Uh, I don't believe that because what you're talking about is like rent control or market manipulation. You're you're suggesting that we need government involvement to set the price. And for me, this is the same thing. Like to minimum wage, um, and it's like, well, if you're going to get in the business then of deciding what's best and cost fixing everything then you may as well just go for it across the board. 
um, set the cost of everything, income, you know, just you just figure it all out, just nail it all down and tell us what to do and watch how happy and productive we all are. Uh, I, I really feel like, you, you know, and in, in some of my, my personal story and some of my most favorite success stories are uh, people that realize that um, this is the land of milk and honey, man, and you have really have the opportunity to put your head down and work and create a reality for yourself. Um, it's easy it's easy here to bellyache about, oh, well, it's so hard and there's not a lot of opportunity and these kind of things. And like George, I like George. Um, George basically said, hey, decide what you want to do and do it. You need to sit around making excuses. Maybe you're going to need to commute for a couple of years. Maybe you're going to need to make some sacrifice. You have to be a place you don't necessarily want to be. It's not your final game plan. Put your head down and work hard. Um, I like that. I like that. Make sacrifice and and do what it takes to to better your own situation. Get you ahead. I like the um, the character that that type of environment draws out of people. I like that it it strengthens. I tell my boys this, my kids all all of them this all the time is you're constantly in a state of training some muscle in your body. You're training your fight and you're training your succeed or you're training your fail and you're training, I need help. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, reaching out, taking advantage of resources and help and people that can get you on your way. But I I really love the fact that you can do so much for yourself here. And I think a lot of that is that free market sets that, right? When the house is too expensive for the person to buy, and yeah, we all worry about that and track that, but guess what? That corrects at some point, right? Doesn't it? Yeah. When people stop buying, the prices are going to go down to move something. And we can think of so many jobs where minimum wage is irrelevant. Don't even need it. No one would work for that. You wouldn't ever attract or retain an employee if that's what you paid. So there's those things where it's like there's a there's just a value in the economy where having that to me that free market where people just decide whether or not, you know, they're willing to do that, whether or not they're willing to pay that, whether or not they're willing to offer that at that price and with the competition and you know all the that's just, that's easy for me to to fall on that side of it pretty quick. I think about like landlords like if you're a landlord um rent control has got to just sound terrible. Right? Yeah. All of a sudden the government's going to come in and say, "Well, Dan, I understand that 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 duplex and slow's been in your family for a long long time, but we have a problem where um there's some people that can't really afford more than 400 bucks a month. And so that's all you're going to be allowed to get from here on out. And we understand things get more expensive over time. So we'll let you raise it by 5% a year. You'd be like, what? Thankfully, that's not how it works. <laughs> right? It uh, just grandfathers in that tenant's rent. 
But when you get changeover, then you can raise it to current market, and then but you have to hold it. There are a variety of ways that it works. Uh, that's all I've of, ever seen. Some of them the do levy outright prices. Yeah, and well, then the other thing too is that now you, one of the things I don't like about rent control, for example. <laughs> so you rent in Boston, got the little flat that you rented in 1971 for 500 bucks a month, and you've continued to meet the terms of tenancy and everything that's expected of you. So here you are, all these years later, paying a very low rent. Great job. Good rent. Great. You have not bought a house, <laughs> you, have, you know? Because you like, have an exceptional deal, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, why would you? <laughs> no need. But for many people, that's your greatest opportunity to gain, acquire, and build wealth is through real estate. And also just that idea that at some point you you know, you can pay off a house. If you start when you're thirty, you could own a house by the time you're sixty. Play your cards right and keep your head down. Now you're couple that together with some retirement and not having to have a house payment anymore, that's better than renting. Agreed. But yeah, so you artificially hold those rents down on people and you invite them to to sell out of that path and say, why would I go there? You know, when I leave here, the real world's two grand a month. I'm going to stay over here in Utopia for 500. I feel like that's crazy. I'm inviting you. I want either of you, a caller, somebody tell me why why that's wrong. Maybe not. Maybe everybody just maybe everybody just agrees. Maybe we agree with you. It's just so rare around here that it would feel like a taking of rights, I think if it was dropped in. But you know who would race out and be like, "Yes, do that." Tenants keep my rent low. Yeah, this stingy landlord of mine that's trying to get all the money. He doesn't even need the money. This guy owns eight houses. Give me his money. Keep the rent low. The one thing I think is interesting, though, about all of that is, like, what happens, like you said, you touched on this, um, when your services and the service workers need where do you live? What right. do you do? And like I think about Montecito, for example. In Montecito, who works at that um, you know, the cashier at the the gas station checkout stand and someone living in a different community. And how hard <laughs> is their life? That's somebody hard. living in La Conchita. And yeah. La Conchita, Guida, Oxnard. But gas is so expensive and the traffic through that area is very difficult. Um just like I, yeah, at some point you're going to choke yourself out from every service that you need, right? When your, when your whole, when your whole little economy just moves so far beyond where those people can keep up. I think you got your wish here. I think you baited a caller. <clears throat> We've got Jerry calling from Avila Beach. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Morning. I was just going to make a, a statement here or a comment, and and you guys can do with it what you like. Um. You, the the misconception that anybody ever owns 
real estate in the United States or most any, or any other industrialized nation is really uh, not correct because you never, ever own the, the property outright. If how you so? don't pay your taxes, they'll come and take it away from you. It doesn't matter how much interest you paid or how much principal you paid over that 30-year loan. They'll still come and get you. They'll still, they'll still abscond with your property if you stop paying your taxes or can't pay your taxes anymore. So, you know, I think it's wrong. I don't think anybody ever owns their property. Yeah. Thanks for your call, Jerry. Yeah. We, we can kick this ball around a little bit. Um, I got I to gotta just say, I don't I necessarily want to get in any kind of a a match with Jerry here, but um, when you dial 911 because your house or your neighbor's house is on fire and it's threatening your house, um, there's some stuff that your property taxes are paying that are pretty essential. Yeah, there's roads um, to your property. There's stop signs and stoplights and... And I understand that there's a variety of taxes, and your property tax isn't necessarily funding those things specifically, but um, some of them, some services, some essential services are. And at the same time, too, you know, like there are things about the county, for example, and I I like this. You're, you ever own a house or live in a house where, like, there's a lead smelter next door to you? Uh, thankfully, no. Oh, why? <laughs> because the county has staff that prevents that from happening and policing that and keeping like general health and safety. And I, I, I thought about Jerry's question or comment actually when we when I was talking earlier about the significance of paying off your home. Is that yeah? Depending on where you are in the U.S., California has pretty low property taxes, relatively low at one percent. Uh, we have high property values, so the price that we pay is equal to some of those other states that got five percent, but their houses are only worth one hundred twenty grand. Um, so it's expensive here. And you're absolutely right. If you don't pay your property taxes, I think it's five years mm-hmm. of delinquent property taxes. The county can move to foreclose and get their tax lien paid, and um, I'd probably argue rightfully so. Um, there are so many ways that you can pay that and keep that stuff up to snuff. And uh, I, I I got to admit I'm underqualified to talk specifically about the exact services that your, that your assessors, taxes, you know, what they're providing. But I got to imagine that many of them are quite essential. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you get into like a technicality here of what does ownership mean? Because I, I guess you would say you never truly own your car either if you don't pay your registration. I get well, you can't really get it. You can non-op it and then not use it anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, owning the the taxes are just paying for your services, and your property is a way to obligate you to pay those because that lien can now be attached to property and that's the way to keep you paying your taxes. But I don't know that it, I don't know. I I would probably disagree. I I don't know that that means you don't own it. 
it's just that ownership. Well, you can't comes own it with, without a carry cost. Yeah. And I would venture to say they're probably, we'd have to go dig them out, but there's probably like, I'd venture to say there's probably a place in the U.S., maybe Alaska, where you could homestead a piece of property where you're fully off the grid in your landlocked property with no <laughs> services. There's no 911. There's no mayor. There's no help. There's no neighbors. And there probably is consequently little to no property tax. So that I feel like that the simple reality is, is that all of these services that we depend on and enjoy have a cost. And unfortunately, it's attached to the ownership of property. So whether your house is owner-occupied or non-owner-occupied, the property owner is paying those taxes and those monies are going into the coffer to help provide some of those services. So yeah, you never get to own it without without payment at all. I understand what he's saying. It's kind of a yeah, misnomer. I get it. Because there's an ongoing debt service <clears throat> with it that lasts forever and likely increases forever. I, I definitely concede that point. All right, break time. Yeah? I Ready? think so, yeah. Super exciting. Um, I was trying to think about like some some taxman songs. I, I'm sure you got one. <laughs> what is it? The is it the Who? Do you already have that pulled? I did up? the Who. I got something coming up. You were just tax talking man. about Alaska. So ah, okay, all right. We got a real classic coming up. All right, we got uh, commercial break time here. This could be the final commercial break of the show, right? I believe so. All right, we did it. We did it. And 23 <laughs> minutes until we get to have a weekend. Um, I need to go get some more coffee, and we need a quick commercial break, and then we'll uh, we'll be back to Jim's relevant music bed, and then the conclusion <laughs> of Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. If you're like most investors, the constant ups and downs of the stock market have you on edge. How do you make sure you keep your gains without jumping ship too soon? At Century Financial Consultants, they have an investment strategy where your money is completely protected against market losses. You go up with the stock market, your gains locked in, and when the market goes down, you don't lose anything. Literally, you go up, never down, forwards, never backwards. Sounds too good to be true? See for yourself for free. Call Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 805-324-7914. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is, we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Way up north to Alaska. Way up north to Alaska. North to Alaska. Go north for us, you North to Alaska, we don't know if the rush is on. Big Sam left Seattle in the year of 92. With oh. George Pratt, country classic right there for you. Yeah. Billy too. They the I think Elvis Presley did it too. This is Johnny Horton. Just a little southeast of nowhere. And when he's talking about crossing in 92, he's talking 1892. Not the 92 I'm talking about. No, no, no. I think you're talking. We're talking 1892. They showed the golden stairs on there, too. On the Choku Trail. I know you know about that. Did you guys? There's been a few great shows about. Um, like some little mini series about Alaska, uh-huh. like in the settler gold rush era. Oh, one called Dawson, which was awesome. Dawson, which was awesome. Hey, was you made awesome. a rhyme. Yeah, kind, kind, <laughs> loosely. I loosely rhymed. <laughs> Let's see. What else we got on this list over here? I have an interesting little tidbit here from the week's news hit me household debt growing household debt is at its lowest level in 15 and a half years as a share of disposable personal income oh look at you just twisting which was surprising to me surprising to me because i know that Debt has been growing, and debt total debt is at its is at a high level, right? It's at is at a, at its highest level. Um, it is. It's surpassed. It increased by ten point two one billion in June, and uh, yeah, it's it's high. <laughs> it's so, really high. So total debt. Is at thirteen point two nine trillion, which it's grown for sixteen consecutive quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a share of disposable income, it's actually only at eighty six percent of disposable income. Disposable incomes have risen to fifteen, nearly fifteen and a half trillion um, dollars annually. So it's actually gone down the percentage. Uh, it topped out in 2008 at 116 percent of disposable income. Shoosh. 
So it's interesting because we've been sitting here for weeks on end, months on end, talking about um, talking about wages and their frustrating lack of growth of wages. Yet here we are. See, it's obvious to me that disposable incomes have been growing because because debt's been growing. Yet the share of debt is improving. Is improving. You can cover your debt better. So how's that happening when we're not seeing wage growth? We're seeing wage growth. Is this a product of lower super meaningful. lower debt service, perhaps, with all the low interest rates? And while the total dollar value of debt has gone up, the I, payment, the debt service has gone up? I worry down? that you're making a, a, a critical I, leap there that there – I don't read that it's – talking about the ease of the debt service but just the dollars of discretionary income but you would have more discretionary income if your debt service is lower it seems so without any change to your wage if you're able to take a five percent mortgage rate to a three percent mortgage rate you you would likely have more disposable income right that's like getting a raise baby right exactly yeah, we did that for people for a long, long time. So if nationally we're not seeing significant wage growth, yet we're seeing we're seeing debt, we're seeing disposable incomes rise. Are is it is it due to lower debt service or is there something else going on? What's going on? Revolving credit decreased actually by point two billion dollars in May. Okay. Maybe the type of household debt is shifting. Yeah, Maybe it's shifting mortgage, away from consumer and towards mortgage. Mortgage and auto, and those, I mean, those are all counted in these debt figures. So it's nice to see that revolving debt declining a little bit. That's the most expensive um, kind of debt you can have. It comes with a, what, a 20% interest rate, 25% interest rate, something crazy. Yeah, revolving debt is the debt that will ruin your life. Yeah, if you don't pay it off. Yeah, the debt service is crazy on that. It's and a, by contrast, a mortgage is probably some of the cheapest debt you'll ever have. Right. Although it'll be the largest dollar amount. <laughs> I had a... Uh, do we have a call, Jim? We did, but he dropped off. So. Okay. That. Well, if you want to call back, call back. Uh, I had a I had a pre-qual request for this couple last week that was um, making okay money. But you could see just living on the edge of disaster, right? Like a dozen, two car loans and a dozen credit cards that were near limit. And no lates, keeping all the balls in the air, but desperate to buy a house. I need to buy a house. I need to buy a house. So I'm like looking over the thing and I was like, yeah, you know, I get it. I know why you want to buy a house because your revolving debt feels unsurmountable. And I know a consolidation loan would be awesome for you, but you can't get a consolidation loan usually without it being secured to something. And so I think sometimes people that are on that hamster wheel where they're making good money but their debt service is really high. Man, if I just had a house, put all this stuff in there, kind of hit reset and get back going. And so, like I said, I know I know what they're why they wanted to, but I'm looking at it and I'm just like going, man, you guys have got yourself really over a barrel. 
And it's hard because um, you can rack up debt quick, and it takes a really long time to pay yourself out of debt. It takes like a continued, uh, a continued self-discipline and a continued success at executing a plan that's very difficult road for many people to do, barring cashing out a house or a retirement or getting an inheritance or going bankrupt or something like that. So, um, but in this economy though, I mean, living's expensive, right? Especially if you got to put in a few years of starting in the mailroom, you know, that's how it was for us in the mortgage world. You don't start at anything that makes respectable pay. <laughs> <laughs> you start at like, man, you don't know anything. In fact, you don't even know there's a T in mortgage. Sit down right there. Here's your 15 bucks an hour. You got a lot to learn. And if you can learn, now you can get up to snuff. But that take you a couple years. You're not going to have turnkey success. I think this is the same in most industries where – you know, whether you're the apprentice or the intern or whatever, you got you need to learn. You got to learn. If you went to college and you got a nursing degree now, and now you're a nurse, and nurses just start at 48 bucks an hour, that's rad. Probably also got some debt from when you just went to school, yeah. and you need that extra money to pay off all that debt. So, um, but yeah, anyhow, that that for many people, that's a struggle is you got high rents. Need to be saving for a down payment, but you also got a visa bill that you need to try to get in front of, you know, it's a, a pretty tricky little set. And, you know, in terms of that, the whole debt talk, the, um, it is interesting because those numbers seem like I would love some more in-depth clarification on where all this is coming from, because we know that wage growth, you know, what, Three percent a year is probably being on the high side, right? By the time you average out the monthly changes, we're seeing 0 0.1, 0 0.2, sometimes 0.3 percent wage growth month over month. It's not very meaningful, and it's easy. Um, it's really easy to go back and look at, uh, like I said been loving to point this out for the last couple weeks here fuel went up 21 percent this year nationally how are you dealing with that that's expensive that's a big change that affects everything health care is expensive i mean we i don't have to drum it into your guys's head things are expensive and they continue to be um there was a housing thing that I thought we could um, talk and maybe this wraps up the final segment of the show. Um, but like I said, for the last bit here, in fact, uh, last night I heard two realtors talking because mm -hmm. I hang out with realtors. A friend of mine, Dave, who's visiting from Big Bear, was talking to Wes Burke, who, you know, of course owns Patterson Realty. And so they were I heard Wes, I was involved in a conversation over here looking left, and I heard Wes down to my right say, is the market changing in Big Bear? Is it softening? And Dave said, yes, pretty quickly. And they started talking about 
what's changing there and why they're acknowledging that the market's a little bit different. And, um, you know, I have these conversations that nationally there are some markets that are showing signs of a turn. And here on the Central Coast, I don't believe that we're seeing it yet, but for in some of the much higher-end real estate, those ones seem like they're sitting a little bit longer, getting a little bit harder to move. I suspect part of it is taxes and the high property values at those tax rates. But um, anyhow, we've been overwhelmed by national headlines lately that are, I don't know if it's just a desire to get you to click and read or if it's that they are attempting to really share this sentiment and and look like they were the smart ones that named it first. But it's almost like they're selling us this idea that, hey, you guys, real estate's changing now and it's and it's softening and you need to be on the lookout for it, which I find fascinating because it's all perception, right? So it's almost like a that self-fulfilling prophecy. If we spend enough time campaigning that things are softening and going to about to to get, you know, flat or maybe declining, we could probably make it come true. Don't you think? Yeah. Be, yeah. I think you can talk yourself into that. And if, if enough people are talking about it, then everybody starts believing it and it becomes that self-fulfilled So we've heard thing, this. Like you've said. But, but softening doesn't mean declining it doesn't mean depreciating no. it means it's been very firm hasn't yes, it yes so is softening doesn't mean that it's going like limp noodle no it means that it's just it's not it's not accelerating be the bath that it's been yeah right yeah it's, but we have a tendency to believe that that things are like falling to the we live in the extremes right the headlines try to get us the extremes First time this happened in X amount of years, you know, best it's been in so many quarters, worst we've seen since 2008. We're just constantly like we need to make the extremes uh, need to be real evident to to where how you relate to. And it, I think it's because there's so much information flying by us at every minute. We need context. And the only context we seem to understand anymore is best or worst. Good or bad? Just, I don't have Well, and time. it's how something stands out well, from the know, middle. I don't have time to understand what the median is right. and why, why, you know, what we're reading is, is may, may or may not be big news. But anyhow, one of the and, – and over the course of the last couple of months, there's been a couple of weird statistics around new home sales that have sort of tripped people out of like, okay – and and you'll see it, right? You'll see the naysayers say, oh, well, interest rates have finally sucked the last bit of life out of that uh, new home buyer. So, and that's the lead, that's the leading, leading edge when nobody's interested in buying the new home anymore. And now you just got a picture, track three, four, and five, those phases that aren't yet broke ground on, man, those ones, this is where they lose their butt, right? People start, they have to sell track three for less than track two and here you go. I feel like that's sort of what they keep trying to extrapolate out of those numbers lately. And it's frustrating to me because I feel like you're, what are you guys campaigning for? Um, this week we got a read on housing starts and we got a read on building permits. Housing starts for the month of July rose 0.9% month over month to an annual pace of 1.168 million units. That's a lot. Uh, Remember a few years ago when we were struggling to build 300,000 units a year? 
off of the highs that were around 1.6, seeing units of month-over-month pace of starts. This is shovel-broke ground that we're working now, a start of 1.168 million units. Um, Bloomberg forecast 1.26, whatever. Um, That's a good, strong number. Starts for... um, June were revised slightly lower to 1.158. That's still a lot. Um, and then next up, we got to talk building permits because if we're, you know, we're looking at sentiment, we're looking at the economy, we're wondering how things are going. Lining up to get your permits to, to is basically a declaration of your intention and your business plan, and you know that if you build it, they will come. Philosophy. Um, I consider building permits one of the the leading indicators of what's going on. Um, it grew 1.5% month over month. The pace of permits is at 1.311, exceeding the the previous you know months and year over year growth of what is a pretty strong start. So when we see about home builder sentiment, we see ah they're a little bit discouraged that it's expensive. Land is scarce and labor is hard to come by, yet they're building them. They're building them and they're selling them and they're building more of them. They're pulling permits and they're working to to do more. Um, And by the way, in terms of permits, June was also upwardly revised to be even stronger than it was there. So we see good fronts here um, on, I'm going to argue, on the new construction starts as well as the permits um, of what's to come going forward. So you're seeing starts rise, probably like the highest level since 2008, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just to get you an extreme. Um, yeah. But, I mean, we're we're seeing starts rise. We're seeing the permits rise. So we're seeing more supply of housing on the horizon. And at the same time, we're seeing with the prices going up that the affordability has gone down. So, now, you know, we've gone from housing being affordable to a third of the population to now a quarter of the population. So you've got less demand out there. It's going to help normalize the appreciation rate. It's not going to be this above normal appreciation. We're going to soften it down to a normal appreciation. It doesn't mean we're going to start to see, you know, rapid foreclosures and one of the one of the final things at play here which we didn't talk enough about today is the interest rates environment is actually somewhat favorable compared to how it's ran for the last couple months we've seen a slight dip the economic stuff the turkey stuff the tariff stuff the all these things into the hat and people i think kind of cautiously watching as you look at debt and gdp and political, all everything at play, there's just a little bit of caution. I think everybody's sort yeah. of, you know, I feel like it's like when you watch your your toddler start running on a slight uh, downhill. Hey, careful. I, I feel like that's sort of how we watch today. And so anyways, interest rates have been good. Um, I've been talking to people again about some refinance opportunities. I, uh, I wanted to actually talk about this a lot more today because this was so relevant, but I talked to a couple yesterday who got a loan three years ago, an FHA loan through a competing company here in town. They got a 4.5% FHA loan three years ago. It's really high. It's even high today. 
um, proposal to them is to do a conventional refi and get off that life of loan mortgage insurance. So I guess that would be my call to the broad listenership today. If you have an FHA loan with life of loan MI, you need to come up with a plan to get rid of that MI before interest rates move to 6% because that's where it's supposed to go. So 805-543-LOAN. 543 Loans, the number 5626. Central Coast Lending is the URL. Um, find us this week if you want to get that help. Get pre-approved. Check out a refi. Get a general checkup. Thanks so much for being with us today. We will be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters. Hope you guys have a great week.